Good morning. My name is Bill Carson. I'm uh, Director of Student Ministries, one of the elders here, and uh, I'm excited to share this message. It's uh, titled Church as Family. Now, I don't know what you think of when you think of family. We all have a variety of thoughts that flood our mind, I'm sure. When I, when I think of family, I'll be honest with you. Growing up, I had a crazy, loving, and messed up family. And uh, just hold on right here. Be ready. Are you set? Stay with me. My biological father was Lewis Carson. My mother was Shirley. They had me, and then they had my sister two years later. When I was four years old, they divorced. My mom, my sister, and me, we moved to Toledo, Ohio. Toledo, Ohio later became famous in my mind, later in my life, by watching the TV show MASH. Corporal Klinger was from Toledo, and when he wasn't wearing dresses to try to prove that he was crazy to the Army, and he deserved a Section 8 discharge, he wore a baseball jersey from the Toledo Mudheads, but I digress. When I was in Toledo, my mom dated and married a man named Joe Carson. It turns out Joe Carson was Lewis Carson's brother. Are you with me? Yeah, I didn't think so. (laughs) So Lewis was my biological father. Joe became my stepfather. Joe had been off in the Navy when my mom and Lewis got together, and so, so my uncle became my stepfather, and my father became my uncle. And then my stepfather legally adopted me to become my father, so then my father became my biological father and my uncle, but I only saw him a couple of times when I was young. You, you with me? When I think of family, I, this is what I think of. This is how I was raised. When, when my, my uncle, who became my stepfather, became my legal father, he had three children from his first marriage, Ron, Troy, and Teresa, and they came to visit us in a summer when I was 12, and, and they loved it so much they stayed. And so, so Joe and Shirley, they had their own child, Sheila. So there was Ron, Troy, and Teresa, Bill and Krista, and, and Sheila. There was his Hers and ours. Three boys, three girls. I was the oldest of the six children. I was the Greg Brady of my family. Nick and Knight, check it out. However, we didn't have Alice, we didn't have a dog, nor did we have a house designed by an architect father. But my mom and my adopted dad, Joe... They, they raised all six of us through my teen years. And uh, frankly, I'm just giving you the tip of the, the iceberg about my crazy, messed up, loving family. Now, when I tried to explain my family when I was dating my wife, Brooke, she, she asked me, seriously, she asked me for a flow chart. She asked me for a diagram. Now, hold on. Let's get this on paper. I I need to see it. And so when I think of family today, that's what I think about. So it's taken me quite some time to understand what family 
is all about, what family really is meant to be. And it's taken me quite some time to understand church as family. One author has said there are many metaphors for the church that are used in the New Testament. This author says a family, a fellowship, a body, a bride, a people, a temple, a lady, and her children. And never does the New Testament conceive the idea of the Christian existing on a prolonged basis outside the fellowship of the church. And so in our series of 52 verses for this calendar year, I want us to look at Matthew 16, 18. Matthew 16, 18 says, Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Jesus is speaking in our verse. And this is the first time the word church is used in the New Testament. And he's saying that Peter had the honor of laying the foundation of the church among the Jews and the Gentiles. But Christ did not mean, as some have said, to exalt Peter to some supreme authority above all other apostles or say that he was the only one whom he would build his church. Now, it's clear throughout Scripture that Jesus is the ultimate rock or foundation that we can build our life on. And in my earlier days, growing up, as I ran across that verse, it confused me. Because I always thought, you know, Jesus was the foundation. Jesus is the rock. I should build my life on him. You know, the scripture talks about building your life on the sand or building it on the rock. Don't want to build it on on yourself or on life or fame or money. You build it on the rock of Jesus. That's what I had been taught. That's what I had in my head. But then I ran across this verse, which talks about building my life on the rock, which is Peter. But yet Peter had that opportunity to be one of many who had the honor of laying that foundation. And scripture clearly teaches that Jesus is the ultimate rock or foundation. The other part of this verse that I love, that is encouraging to me, and I hope to you today, is to know that by being a follower of Christ, we cannot be defeated. And all the powers of hell will not conquer us or the church. That's encouraging. That's good news. And I want us today to have a proper understanding of the church. The church is not a building. As cool as this building is, the church is not this building. Now, I I love talking about this building. I've loved learning about this building and exploring. And and I remember when I first started working with with the youth group, with Pastor Jim Logue some four or five years ago, I was a volunteer with him and and I was here earlier and we were setting up and he said check this out Bill and he had some music playing and he just started raising the volume a little bit more a little bit more a little bit more and I mean this sound system I I don't know if you know but it can thump this sound system has seven subwoofers underneath the stage right here seven subwoofers creating the bass when it's thumping if you sit on this stage It'll create some vibration. 
seven. This sound system, video, and lighting system cost over $200,000 when it was first built and installed. I, I love this building. I love this building. It's so cool. It's historic. It's hip. This is not the church. It's not the church. The church is not a service. It's not a day. The church is not a time. The church is not an institution. The church is not a denomination or an organization. We identify these things as the church, and rightly so. But really, biblically speaking, the church is the people. The church is those who are followers of Christ. The church is family. We're in God's family. It is being the church rather than going to church. Each of us is a vital part of God's family. Each of us has a role to play. Each of us has a way to be the church that only we can be. So when you think of this family that we call Stapleton Fellowship Church, what do you think? Now, if this is your first time here or or you're relatively new here, maybe you have yet to make a determination or maybe you're here from out of town or or you're here from another church, you have a church home somewhere else, you can adapt this message for, for those places, for your church home. But today, as I think about this family in this part of the world, God's family, I think about having a proper understanding and recognizing that the church is people. It's you and I. It's us. Those who claim the name of Christ, those who are followers of Christ, who've made that commitment, that decision, who stepped across that line of faith. And so today, I want to talk about how our our thoughts are revealed by our actions. Our thoughts and our feelings about this church are revealed by our actions or by our vote. We vote by our actions. We reveal our thoughts about this church, how we act. There's five ways that we vote about this church or your home church. The first is, and it's in your notes, it's by our attendance. It's by our attendance. We vote. We reveal our thoughts about our church by our attendance. And this is the basics of one's commitment to a church. Now, I have to be real careful because I grew up in a legalistic church that had a checklist of of 100 rules that I had to check off. And I'm not interested in legalism, perfect attendance of badges. I'm not interested in, in some checklist in the fact that, well, I've attended church for the week. I'm good. What I'm interested in is faithful attendance that leads to helping you on your spiritual journey. You come regularly and you engage. You engage in worship. I don't know how you worship in your heart and in your life during the corporate singing, but I have a tendency to zoom in on a phrase or two in each of the songs. And today, the phrase that came to the front of my head, that spoke to my heart, was when it was talking about Jesus' death in the song, and it said, love ran red. 
I've heard that song before, but those, those words grabbed me. And it's because I engaged in worship. And I'm not just interested in coming to church and checking it off, saying, well, I did my time. Now I can go live my life. No. I want to engage in worship, engage in learning, engage in growing, engage in ministry opportunities, engage in opening my mind, opening my heart to what God has for you. Today, God has something to say to each and every one of us. Are we opening our mind? Are we opening our heart? Are we ready for what he has to say? It doesn't matter if you're at the beginning of this spiritual journey and you're trying to figure this whole church thing out, this whole God thing out. He has a message for you. He has something to say for you. It doesn't matter if you've been a follower of Christ for a few years or if you've been a follower of Christ for a a, a couple of decades or longer. God has a message for you today. If you open your heart, if you open your mind and you engage. Hebrews 10.25 says, Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. This has been a common problem since biblical days, since the founding of the church, getting people to come to church regularly, getting people to meet together regularly. The author of Hebrews says, Let us not neglect are meeting together as some people do. I don't want to be the some people. Is this a place a priority for you? Is your home church a priority for you? Have you locked in and engaged? It's so easy to put church attendance on the back burner and let so many other things bump it off the priority list, isn't it? It is. When I was single... I had no accountability, and I lived by myself. It was even easier to do that. But I have this idea. I have an idea. What if, what if we decided today that we're going to make faithful attendance to church a priority? What if, what if we just put it on our calendar? We put it in our scheduler. We put it in our organizer. We put it on our calendar app. What if we just said Sunday mornings at 9, Sunday mornings at 1045, or Tuesday nights at 630, whichever service fits best for you and and your situation. We just go, you know what, that's where I'm going to be. Most of the time, that's where I'm going to be. Because sometimes we have this laissez-faire, this casual, this, you know, well, if, if nothing better comes up, I probably will go to church, you know. I mean, if, 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 if God wakes me up, I'm not going to set my alarm, but if God wakes me up, then I'll go to church. You know, that was when I was in college. I tried that one a little bit. You know, it's like, well, it's, it's 2 a.m. And, and, you know, you know, if God really wants me to go, he'll wake me up. Uh, It drove me nuts when he woke me up. We vote by our attendance. Secondly, we vote by our community. The church should be best at building community. Community is family. Community is family. Scott McKnight has said the church is God's show and tell for how to live as a family. I like that. 
churches God show and tell for how to live as a family. In Acts chapter 2, it's the start of the New Testament church. It's the beginning of the church. The church is being established. And in verse 42 of Acts chapter 2, it says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. They devoted. They committed. Gathering together with the teaching, the fellowship, sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and prayer. How do we build community? How do we connect in a world that sometimes is difficult to connect? That's what community is. That's what family is. It's connecting together. I want to give us five things quickly to build community. The first is the act of getting involved. It's an act. I remember when my wife and I first started coming to this church, there was a few weeks where we were checking things out and and we were kind of on the fringes and we'd come right as the service started and we'd leave as soon as the service left. We, We didn't participate in too many things. We only talked to those people that found us. We didn't find people and we just... We just kind of came, enjoyed the service, and left. It was over at the school at DSST before we were here. But there was a point where we said, this is our church. We want to be a part of this church. We want to come. And so we made a commitment, and we, made an, we took action. We made an act of getting involved. I attended a men's retreat that was coming up. Uh, I, I signed up for that. I, I signed up for a men's Bible study for 24 weeks on Monday nights, and I committed to that. My wife went on a women's retreat. We began to get involved in children's ministry and student ministry. We just got involved. We, we didn't know for sure what this church was up, but we just dove in. And when you get involved... Now all of a sudden you have opportunities to have conversations and get to know people and build relationships, build community because we're involved. It's difficult to build community when you come 10 minutes late and you leave as soon as the last amen is said and you don't engage and you don't get involved. It's hard. The act of getting involved. Why don't you try that? How about the act of lingering? Linger. Maybe you know it as loitering. <laughs> the act of lingering. It, sometimes it's, it's uncomfortable. I'm more naturally outgoing, and, and I, I could walk up to a stranger and create a conversation. Some people aren't that way. I understand. I get that. So what if you just linger? Just kind of pause. Try it. Maybe that'll begin some community building. How about the art of listening? Sometimes we talk too much and we don't listen. How about the art of asking questions? Men love to be asked about their careers. Women probably do too. I, I know that, that get me started talking about my interior painting business and I, I got some stories. I, I'm in people's homes. I'll tell you some stuff. You know, just ask a question. Don't, you don't even have to ask. I'll just tell you sometimes. 
But building community, if you ask questions, now you get to know people. The art of engaging. I've already talked about engaging. It's checking in. Not just on Facebook, but checking in with mentally. Building community. Our church is all about that. I mean, we've been talking about joining community groups. We used to call them life groups. And when you do, that begins to help you build community in that group. But when you join a a community group, go ahead and go every week. Go, Go ahead and engage. Go ahead. It's an idea. The third way we vote about this church or our home church is by our ministry. Ministry is for every follower of Christ, and ministry is serving. In Acts chapter 2, I read verse 42. In verse 43, it continues. A deep sense of awe came over them all. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. (laughs) I was talking about coming to church every week. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to the fellowship those who were being saved. Do you notice how they're serving in that passage? They're serving. They're building community and they're, they're selling stuff. And they're meeting needs. They're serving one another. The church is one of the greatest places to serve. To serve each other. To serve children. To serve teenagers. To serve unchurched people who are checking us out. To serve the brokenhearted. To serve the poor. Are you involved in this church in ministry? In in serving? How are you voting there? Are you just a consumer who takes as feed me and never serves, gives, or ministers? We vote by our ministry. Number four way we vote today. The fourth way is by our generous giving. We don't talk a lot about money and giving around here. It's an uncomfortable subject with churches. I get that. I've visited churches where there was a 15-minute sermon before the offering. Been there. And we don't want to be that church. And so that's why today when Ryan introduced the offering... He thanked everyone for their generous giving and their support of this church. And this is an opportunity to worship God and to give back. And that was the end of the reference. And if, if you're new to this church, if it's your first time, we don't, we don't want you to, to feel obligated to give. We never want you ever to feel obligated to give. But we look at the biblical mandate that God has set out as we're growing on our spiritual journey. And as you study the Bible, you can't help see the references to generosity, giving, tithing, being a good steward of our time, talents, and treasures. It's an uncomfortable subject. I understand that. I don't know who gives to this church. I don't know how much people give. 
And so I'm not speaking today directly to anyone. But I'm sharing the principle that we vote by our generous giving. Dave Ramsey has said there are over 800 references in the Bible to money, including subjects like budgeting, saving, debt, career, family, children, and giving. He also says that 53% of Christians haven't given to their church in the last month. And as an elder of this church, I don't know the individual giving or the amounts, but I see the the general dollar offerings, and I see the the overall picture. Every member could see that if you were at the, the annual church budget approval meeting a few weeks ago, the business meeting. That's what I see. And I know that our church can do so much more if everyone does their part and is following God's call on their life as a follower of Christ, to be plugged into a church, to be involved in attendance, to be involved in ministry and community and generous giving. The passage in Acts chapter 2 says that because the church, because they gave, they sold their stuff and gave to those in need, because they, they willingly sacrificed, because they were generous, because of that, in Acts chapter 2, it says the people were, there was people at every day, every day that were being saved. Every day someone was coming into a relationship with Christ. And this is why we give. We give because the Bible commands us to, and we want to be obedient to God's commandments. But we also Give because we want to be a part of something that is bigger than us. We want to be a part of a a church family that is reaching people for Christ. My wife and I, we give on a systematic, regular, consistent plan of generosity. And as God blesses us, we increase our giving and increase our generosity. And we can never outgive God. The last way that we vote about our church is by inviting others. Inviting others. A pastor of a growing, cutting-edge church in, in Canada, Kerry Newhoff, he said the crisis in the church today is that most churches are not places anyone would want to bring their friends to. Churches that facilitate gatherings that work for outsiders and insiders will be the most effective. That's the kind of church we're already a part of. I am so proud of our church. I, I, I love our church. We are not that church where, where I'm scared to invite someone to. I'm proud of our church. It's easy for me to invite people. And we have such a great place with so many great things about it and so many great people. It's easy to say, hey, come check us out. Now, I have talking points. I don't know how you invite people to church. I have talking points. I have things that I try to work into my conversations with as many people as possible. I I first talk about, and I try to work into the subject, how I'm involved in student ministry. Now, as soon as I say that, as soon as I say, yeah, I work with our youth group at church on Wednesday nights, I really kind of just throwing that out there to see what kind of reaction I'm going to get. 
Have you done that with people? You know, every, one, every once in a while, I'll get someone that, like, smiles and nods. And it's like, oh, really? Wow. But oftentimes, I get that glassy, glazed-over look, you know, like, what did he just say? He does what? Where? You know what I'm talking about. It's hilarious. But what it does is it allows me to get a little bit of a glimpse into that person's life and maybe maybe what they're aware of. Some people don't even know what a youth group is or or they hear the word church and they immediately shut it down because they've had a bad experience maybe growing up or in the past. But now I kind of lay it out there and I kind of get a feel. I also talk about this building, the historic value, the, the cool architects, how it was built in the late 50s and early 60s by a concrete company, and they wanted to show their clients what they could do with concrete. And so that's why this hangar that normally is made out of, of steel and, and big, big uh, steel beams and big steel walls instead is made out of concrete, and how we gutted it and remodeled it into this cool venue that looks like a concert, like a concert venue. I, I talk about those things. And it's, it's a natural flow, free-flowing way to engage someone. Say, hey, come check us out. I talk about the band and how awesome they are and they lead us in worship. I talk about the relevant messages. I talk about it's kind of a come-as-you-are thing, how sometimes I wear shorts and t-shirts and flip-flops on Sunday morning, it's okay. I did have to get approved for this outfit to be on stage by my wife. She did approve. I said, I said I'm referencing shorts, t-shirt, and flip-flops in my message. Maybe I should wear that on stage. And she says, no, 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 no. I wasn't sure if she was going to approve this particular out top. It's a little crazy, a little bold, but she's like, well, just... Just tell them it's chili cook-off day or, or the, you're the youth guy and then it's okay, you know. The, the youth guy can get away with some stuff maybe, you know, that others can't. I don't know. When was the last time you were so excited about our church you couldn't help but step out of your comfort zone and invite someone to give us a try? When you were, were you so excited about this church helping someone on their spiritual journey that they might find Jesus here that you said, hey, come check us out. People who are excited and engaged about something spread the word, and they do marketing for something. They do promotion for something. It's true of products. It's true of services. It's true of, true of places as well as of churches. What's your vote about inviting others? I'd like to invite all the children and the teenagers that are here to come up on stage and line up right behind me. I've asked Ariel and her staff and volunteers, and if, if there's children or teenagers even in the crowd, just come on up. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to speak or sing or dance. We did a dance-off this past Wednesday night at our family night at youth group. Then, but even that was optional. No pressure. You know, We had over 100 here. On Wednesday night at family night with our student ministry. And, and so uh, here's some children and some, some teenagers that are coming up. And I appreciate them helping me. I know there will probably be even more in the second service as families come for that service to get ready for the chili cook-off. We'll have some here on Tuesday night for the Tuesday night service. But check out these kids. 
Aren't they awesome? Come on up. Squeeze all the way across there. You guys are awesome. Thank you for helping out. What does your vote about this church, what does your vote about this church say to those around you? What does your votes about this church say to the children and the teenagers of our church? You come to this place. You f- are faithfully involved. You, get, you, you, you faithfully attend in worship, in, in community, in ministry, in giving, and inviting. That helps you on your spiritual journey. We're not just doing the checklist thing. We're here to help you on your spiritual journey. You're doing those things so that you can grow, and you're doing those things because of the people around you. Maybe you have a family. Some of these kids are yours. Your faithful attendance impacts yourself and it impacts these kids. If, a, if you have children and they grow up with parents that come to church once in a while or whenever it's convenient, what message is that communicating to your children or your teenagers? If you are involved in community, what message is that saying to your children? That being a part of the family of God is normal. And that that's what you want them to consider as they grow up. When you get involved in ministry, what's it saying to the kids, to the teenagers, of your family and of our church? And I'll just be real honest with you. My wife gets an email every week from Ariel, who does a fabulous job with children's ministry. And then on that, it lists all three services and all the different age groups. And every week, she has different positions for the children's ministry. And I've just seen the last three weeks, and on that email, where there should be a significant number of individuals in, in volunteer slots. There's many, many slots. Some as much as half of the slots do not have a name, but it says open. There's ministry opportunities for children in this church waiting for you right now. Do it for yourself. You will, you will grow in your spiritual journey more than you've ever grown. Maybe you've not worked with children before. Maybe you're scared of children. Maybe you're afraid they will break. But they're resilient. They won't. All you got to do is just love them. Be present with them. Do your best. Help them. Ariel will train you. God is calling some of you to quit being a spectator and to get involved in the ministry of this church. And children's ministry is a great way to do it. What kind of message do you want to send to the children and the teens of this church? Are you supporting this this church, which supports the children's ministry and the youth ministry of this church? Are you a generous giver? It's not just to pay for some lights. It's not just to pay for some building. But it's to invest in the lives of children and teenagers. I want to do that with my money. And I hope you join me and you raise the bar and you raise the level of your giving to the point where it is sacrificial. It is generous. It is time that this church moves forward 
forward in our giving and in our ministry involvement, in our attendance, in our community building. Why? Because we're doing it for the children and for the teenagers of this church. We're doing it for them. It's all about these guys. It's all about these guys. Look at them. They're awesome. They're beautiful. They're special. Thank you for being up here. Thank you. Thank you for opening your heart. I thank you for your help. And I want to encourage each and every one of you, children and teenagers, open your heart to what God wants. Open your heart to invite Jesus into your life. It was when I was seven years old that I went to a church and I asked Jesus into my life. And he's changed my life. He's made a difference in my life. And he can make a difference in yours. And he can make a difference in yours. We're doing it for the kids. We're doing it for the teenagers. What do your votes say to the people around you? What do your votes say to our children and to our teenagers? We are a family. We're a family. As our children and teenagers go off the stage, I think they deserve a round of applause for helping me. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. What do your votes say? I hope today that you've sensed my heart. I don't want you to feel like I'm beating you over the head, that I'm being rough on you or hard on you. I hope you sense my heart is to challenge you, to examine where you're at in your spiritual journey, and most importantly, open your heart up to God. And say, God, what are you saying to me? What do I need to rearrange, to evaluate, to figure out? 